Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast by Celebrating Disability called Part of Me. This is podcast seven, and today I have a special guest with me who's going to explain a little bit about what his impairment means to him and what he does in his daily life for a job. Um, so we'll just start there. Hello. Hello, Etni. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Good, good. Can we start off by, say, by asking who you are? And what you do? Okay, my name is Robert Joy, and I'm a freelance disability equality consultant from okay. down in Southampton. Uh, but I but I work uh, right across the country, and I also work quite regularly with a number of youth-led organisations local to where I live. Okay, so for our listeners, what's a user-led organisation? A user-led organisation is an organisation run and controlled by disabled people and or carers, and that means that they they tend to be part of the management committee, they tend to be part of the star team, and they tend to have a very integral role in running the organisation. So why, I mean, I'm going off script a little bit, and we've even just, only just started, but I think it's a really important subject, so if you don't mind talking about it for a minute. So why are user-led organisations, I can hear my listeners thinking, well, what's the difference between a user-led organisation and any other organisation that doesn't, isn't run by disabled people and carers? I think a user-led organisation manages to actually have a more authentic and a relevant voice, okay. particularly in the disability movement. For many years, there's been a lot of uh, big disability organisations who have spoken for disabled people, and they may have done that in a very well-meaning way, but I think it's important that you like in the black movement and in the women movement, it was only when the people who actually belonged to that movement, i.e. women and black people, actually started speaking for themselves, that actually change happened. So that's why I think having a youth-led organisation running further game and commenting on current issues and not working with disabled people is a really positive thing for moving disability equality forward. Excellent. No, I, I completely agree. So, I mean, I, I run a disability equality business myself, and we're not competitors. We've worked together in the past, and we, we will be working yeah. together in the future, so I'm not going to beat you up after this meeting or anything. <laughs> but, um, but so, what is, so just from your point of view, what is a disability equality organisation, and what is a disability equality consultant? Um, I... I think I think they're they're one and the same thing in a way. I think a disability quality consultant is somebody who works very much um, from the kind of the social model and the human right and equality perspective, which means that in all our work we are trying to make sure that people realise that disabled people are just like people mm-hmm. anywhere else within the community. And although we may have some individual needs that may be different to other people, that it's really important that our human rights and our equal rights are respected 
and they therefore think a lot of my work suits are being on making sure that we project the positive image of disabled people as being equal members of society, whether that within the community, within the workplace, or indeed within the political system as a whole. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. So, um, do you mind me asking a little bit about your impairment and what your impairment means to you? Um, my impairment is um, for obviously people can't see me, so mm-hmm. uh, my, I'm, I'm actually a full-time wheelchair user. I also have um, a speech impairment, which means that sometimes it's hard for people to communicate with me, but hopefully most of your listeners can understand mostly what I'm saying. Um, And I also have a number of other uh, long-term health conditions which I I deal with on a daily basis. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. And how, if, if anyway, how does it affect you in the workplace? Um, I think it affects me in a number of ways. For one thing, it obviously limits what I can do to some extent in terms of what type of job I do. Though I prefer to, obviously I can't be a duckman or a fireman. Um, But what I like to think is that I can bring some of my expertise and my problem-solving skills that I have developed through actually having to deal yeah. with my impairment and I managed to bring that expertise into the workplace. Um, and I also think it's important because it means that I do come from very much an equal opportunity perspective, which means I try to judge people and I find them mm-hmm. and I try and look at everybody and having strength and asset that I can learn from, and mm-hmm. I think it's really important to have a diverse workforce. Mm-hmm. So just like it's really important that we have uh, women and black people within the workforce, particularly within senior management, I think it's really important that disabled people are represented at all levels of the organisation, mm-hmm. because I think they, they, bring a, they bring a certain present to the organisation, which means the organisation can not just talk about being diverse, but actually be diverse mm. in terms of actually the way it operates, the way it thinks about how to treat star, the way it treats its customers, and hopefully it project a more modern view of what we want an organisation to be in the 21st century. I complete. I 110. I know that's not a figure, but 110 <laughs> percent agree with that. And I think it's so important, just as you said, to not just kind of say, "Oh yes, no, we're really diverse," because yesterday we talked to somebody who was disabled. But actually, to be able to show that through what you do every day, and the way you deliver your services, and the way you strategize what your services are going to mean for your customers, but also your employees as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked a lot. Sorry, I know this interview not about me, but I talked a lot a few weeks ago about being able to um, open a wider candidate pool by having that diversity already in the business so that candidates can see, oh, this is a business I can see myself working in because it's already supportive. And what do you think about the idea of an inclusive workspace being um, supportive of everybody? 
I think it really important and just picking up for you on that your point for ten years I was senior manager in an organisation and as you say it was really important that when I was interviewing other disabled candidates, I think sometimes disabled candidates actually saw me as a role model mm. and actually kind of thought, you know, if this person can become a senior manager, then so can I. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have a role in kind of, I hate the word inspiring, because I think that can sometimes be used in a patronising yep. way, but I also think it is important and disabled people that we do inspire the younger generation, not whether they're disabled people, whether they're women, or whether they're black people, whether they're gay people or whatever, that actually just because we may be seen as a minority, that, that doesn't mean that we can't still take a full and equal part in working and being part of an organisation and driving the organisation forward. And I think if an organisation can be open to own ideas through things like having flexible working hours, having facilities that are acceptable to people, having an understanding that people people may, may want to work in a certain way or they may communicate in a certain way. You know, I thought, for instance, it is slightly a tangent, but no, I, I love thought tangent. it was interesting that the two finalists of Britain Got mm. Talent mm. this year were both disabled people. And I actually freaked that I don't think people were voting for them because they actually felt sorry for them or felt pity for them, they actually were voting for them because they could see that they were very talented people. And in a way, that what we want all organisations to do, to actually view all people, whether they have an impairment or not, and actually having strength and ability that go far beyond what actually appears on their curriculum vitae. And one thing I'm not really clear about is that it's not about people's educational background necessarily. You know, you don't necessarily need to have a degree to be a good manager. Actually, you need to have the right people and mm. the ability to communicate. And my experience, I have found a lot of disabled people have developed very good communication skills mm. quite often because they've been at you to having to communicate with a wide variety of people in order to get their support needs done at home yeah. and therefore they can translate that skill very well into the workplace. I absolutely, I've been nodding vigorously. People on the podcast won't be able to see, but I'm nodding vigorously. You're like because a shirt hill dog. I am. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> because I, I couldn't agree more and there's nothing else I can add to what you said because I think you said it perfectly. So I will just move on to the next point and the next question for you, if you don't mind. Um, so it's a bit about advice that you might offer people. So if you could offer any advice to managers supporting a disabled person... What would it be? I think for a manager it's about listening to the disabled person, listening to how what would make it easier for them to do their job mm-hmm. the best way they can. And that's not about 
kind of bending over backward to accommodate a disabled person, but that's what I would do to any any yeah. employee that I'm marrying. I would ask them what will make it easier for you so that when you're at work, I can get the best out of you. Absolutely. So, for instance, if somebody's got a child and they need to come in to work 10 minutes, late every day, you know, and stay 10 minutes late at the end to make up for it, then I think that's reasonable because that actually means that when they are here, they'll actually concentrate and focus on the part in hand. And I think in the same way for a disabled person, they need a particular piece of software on their computer system or they need a dip chair to make it more comfortable for them to sit at their desk mm-hmm. or they need a bit longer at lunchtime so that they can eat their lunch comfortably or whatever then I think as long as they, you can they, you tell people that and you're flexible to that then you can make sure that when people are actually working they're actually focused on their job and not worrying about whether they'll have time to go to the toilet in their lunch mm. break. And so I think it's about listening to what a disabled employee wants and also thinking about how that can match up with what an organisation needs. Mm. Because at the end of the day, you also need to make sure that the organisation needs its target and needs its Goal. and therefore by being open and honest with everyone and having an open conversation about it, it may there being any misunderstanding later on down the line. Mm. But I think it's also, I completely agree with you, I think it's also about kind of having this fre- flexible and agile working kind of thinking out the box ideas so perhaps it might you know if somebody um, wasn't able to work nine to five for whatever reason disability or not disability um, it could be about you know having um, a process where somebody could do a job share or only working certain hours or working certain hours from home so as you said it's about thinking outside the box and thinking of all the options that would work best for the employee so that you can get the most out of them at the end of the day and i think nowadays with technology and people now work from home a lot more and people work when they're out and about you know mobile working to save time you know i mean you know, it's easier for somebody to be out in the field and not working on their laptop mm. from Starbucks, then, then that's fine. Yeah. You know, as long as people are focused and getting the job done. And then again, I think technology cannot really help disabled people to be good in employing and to work and effectively and non-disabled employees. And I think sometimes then... Um, a certain naivety in us and sometimes people can be a bit frightened about taking on a disabled employee but actually in my experience most of the time people then come that later down the process and actually think actually that disabled employee has actually brought a lot to my organisation mm. and actually made the organisation think bits 
constantly. And I think actually nowadays we need to reflect the way we do things and you know just like we've been up with a lot of the retail shop closing down and everything you know the workplace is rapidly changing and actually I think uh, any organisation needs to make sure it uses a diverse range of people within the workplace to actually enable them to reflect and think in a more modern way and think about how they are going to change their workplace practices. Because the day of somebody working nine to five from the age of 18 to 55 and then they retire with a nice fat pension, oh, they are gone. Mm -hmm. And therefore, workplacing needs to be, as you say, agile and flexible. And I think having a diverse workforce can actually help them think differently and problem solve around how they can achieve that in the modern world. Excellent. Thank you very much. So if you were to give advice to a disabled employee in the workplace, what would you give? What would you say? I think in a way it's not going on, going okay. about being honest about mm-hmm. what your requirements are, about how you think your film can be best you within the workplace. You know, um, I think it's about being honest even at a job interview before you even got the job about where you think you're your expertise line mm-hmm. and how you can get support in order to do things that are for and I'm sure you talked about on a podcast before, you know, there are things like access to yeah. work which enable disabled employees to actually employ their own support worker or personal to help them to do some of the tar in their job. Mm-hmm. And that's not about doing the job for them, but it's been like maybe driving them to appointment or helping them use a photocopier or taking a foot file down from the top shelf. Mm-hmm. And actually by allowing disabled employees to have had somebody supporting them in that way can enable them and our day to actually focus on the job in hand and actually make sure that their film and expertise are used in the best way. Okay. So I would say to an employee, be on it about what you need be on it about what your support needs are, research, you know, talk to other disabled people around, you know, either within the workplace or outside the workplace. You know, if you do have a diverse workforce, maybe think about bringing together a network of mm. people, you know, and I say, from all the diverse community and minority groups, as we often call them, you know, to actually make sure you, you have a strong voice about what you need and how you need things to be flexible. But as I say, I think flexibility and agility are important for any modern organisation and it shouldn't be seen that you're being flexible and agile to fit in with the disabled person. You're actually being flexible and agile in order to be a modern thinking organisation that looks to the future. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. I think that's so true. And, and as you know, um, the majority of disability is acquired later in life. So having that agile, um, diverse workforce shows an employee that does become disabled during the course of their employment at a specific organisation that, that, that they will be okay when they come forward and say, you know, there is a bit more support I need. Yeah, it's really important for guys. No, no employer will know that it's a lot better to retain a good start you mm. do have than try and recruit start, you know. So actually you do need to think about your retention yeah. policy and you do need to think about how you're going to support people as they get older mm-hmm. and obviously now and I say people are retiring later and later in life but actually we should be using that asset and, and kind of making sure that that expertise that people have built up over decades and decades of working is not lost just because, you know, later on in life they may, they may acquire that impairment mm. which means they need to work slightly differently or need to work slightly different hours or they, they need a parking bay a bit nearer the main entrance to the building mm-hmm. or whatever. So, you know, I think it's really important that we really value the start we have and, you know, because we, we're all going to get older and we're all going to acquire impairment or health condition at some time in our life and it's important that we don't lose the expertise of those people when they do, when they do run up against challenging or mm-hmm. whatever that they may face. Thank you. Now, I just wanted to ask another question that, again, we, I, I didn't tell you about before, if you don't mind. Um, in the other podcast, we've been using the term disability, and in this podcast, we're using the term impairment. Now, I just wondered if you wouldn't mind explaining to people um, the differentiation between impairment and disability for people that may have not heard the term before. Okay, so um, I do, I run a whole training course on DSE, which are very reasonably priced. Oh, well, you they, can't sell on my <laughs> No, 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 <laughs> but they, 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 you know, so I could spend a whole day explaining the difference, okay. but basically the difference is that I, I believe that I, I work to what is called the social model of disability, mm-hmm. and that basically says that people are disabled by the barrier within society, so therefore I'm a disabled person rather than a person with a disability, mm-hmm. because Me too. actually the disability is what is out there, it's what out within society, and it having and having barriers that prevent me from from being an equal participant within society and therefore if we actually got rid of those barriers then I would I would still have my impairment but I would no longer be disabled by society because we would have managed to eradicate some of those barriers and I could be an equal member of society. So hopefully that may a bit of sense, but it in, it in a very kind of potted definition of why I prefer the term disabled person and a person with an impairment rather than a person with a disability. 
I, um, it was a very good explanation. I, uh, I agree with you completely. I feel that I'm a disabled person, but I know other people see themselves as a person living with a disability, and quite a few people on the podcast have identified themselves as that. So I thought it was important, because it can be quite confusing. It can, and also, like you say, disabled people may use different terminology, just like in other, yeah. in other groups, like women and black people and gay and lesbian. People, they may decide to use terms that they feel comfortable with, and yeah. therefore I think it's important to discuss that issue, but maybe not get too bogged down sometimes in the terminology. But I think it's important to respect people in, in the way that they define themselves, and actually not it's not for me to define how you t- should define yourself in the same way that it's not for you to tell me how I should define myself. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, okay, so we're going to go on a, um, a slightly different topic now. We're nearly finished, listeners, who need to get back to work. I apologise. Um, so it's all been very, very useful stuff, so we didn't want to not talk about it at all. Um, so we've been talking about employees in the workplace and employers. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about customers and um, disabled customers and customer service and experience by just asking you a couple of questions. So as a disabled customer or consumer um, in the market, so looking to buy a product or a service um, and the experience that you face, um, what do you think your biggest challenge is? I think it's probably people's attitude, to be honest. I don't know if that's a bit of a cliche. I don't think it is. Uh, but it's amazing how when when I'm out shopping with my partner, um, people will quite often come up to them and kind of say, is there anything I can help you with mm-hmm. or whatever? However, quite often, if I go into a shop on my own, sometimes the shop may not actually see me as being the customer, mm. so they may actually think I'm just browsing because I wouldn't necessarily have any money to buy anything or that, you know, their, their, their kind of product are not, not for disabled people mm. and therefore, and to be honest, I mean, I'm, I'm, people can't see me, but, but I do like to wear quite a nice shirt and quite dick Sure. Yeah. And I quite often find if I go into, uh, I'm not sure the terminology, but a kind of high-end yep. uh, kind of shirt yep. shop mm-hmm. or something like that, that, um, that the shop of it won't necessarily see me as being a viable customer for them. Yeah. And so therefore I think it's about educating again people that actually, you know, anybody can be a customer, you know, and disabled people spend money just like anyone else does, you know, and, and you know, they're, they're poor disabled people and they rich disabled people and just like en- mm-hmm. anyone else, the majority of people are somewhat wearing the middle of that. Mm-hmm. And so therefore people shouldn't make assumptions about disabled consumers and they should try and be helpful and accommodating but also not be patronising. 
action I gain will make assumption about people purely because they happen to be in a wheelchair or, mm-hmm. or have a visual impairment or have a communication issue or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about trying to change people's attitudes. You know, you can always build up ramps and, and widen doorways and give people more room within the shop which are all important things to do, but actually unless that shop has got the right attitude towards its disabled customer, then no point building a ramp, you know, mm-hmm. so it's about actually creating a culture of being welcoming to all people, whatever their, their needs or requirements are. I think that's perfect. Thank you very much. So, just lastly, is there anything else that you would like people to know? No, I mean, I think we covered an awful lot, and obviously I know that you, you, like me, are very passionate about making sure that people realise that disabled people have a lot of strength and values that need to be kind of recognised within the wider society. And although there's still a lot of barriers and challenges within society, I think it's really important that disabled people are out there talking about it and being very open and upfront about what their requirements are and not what on uh, in order to make sure that disabled people are treated just like equal citizens, which at the end of the day, I think, is what everybody wants in the long run. Absolutely. Brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you. So when I publish this, I will put, if you wouldn't mind, your contact details on so that if people wanted to follow up or speak to you about your consultancy, that they can do that. That would be very kind. (laughs) Thank you very much for your time. This has been absolutely brilliant. All right, time has passed. You can talk. <laughs> I needed to cough for ages. God, I felt like I was in a job interview. You I were got, brilliant. I got halfway through the <laughs> interview and thought, what the hell am I talking about? <laughs> and I just